Well, we continue our journey through the Gospel of Luke. You remember months ago when we started reading some of these uh, texts from the Gospel of Luke, I said that they come from the lectionary. And the lectionary is this three-year cycle of readings that if you focus on the lectionary over those three years, you will encounter much of the Scripture in the Bible. And that one of the reasons why lectionary is often preached is because it it forces us to look at some texts that we may not necessarily enjoy looking at or that we may not necessarily like to preach from. Today's one of those texts for me. I honestly don't think I've ever preached on this text in my ministry. So it was kind of neat to be able to to wrestle with this text throughout the week. Um, I don't know if you noticed it, but right off the bat, there are some Pharisees that come to Jesus And they say to him, you need to get out of Galilee because Herod, the king of Galilee, is ready to kill you. Now this is somewhat surprising that there would be a Pharisee any place, anywhere that would be concerned about the safety of Jesus. In fact, if you look at the scriptures, that there's often this really contentious relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees. I mean, if you go back to Luke chapter 7, for instance, um, we are told that uh, the Pharisees rejected God's purpose for their lives because they refused to be baptized by John the Baptist. And then in Luke chapter 11, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you may be ritually clean on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of greed, you're full of wickedness, you neglect the love of God, and you neglect the justice of God. And not only that, uh, you approved of all of the prophets that people have killed, and, and you're going to be held accountable for that. And so you can imagine that the Pharisees don't really take kindly to Jesus saying that they're wicked and that they're uh, evil and, and that they neglect the love of God and the justice of God. And so they're really kind of ticked off. And then in Luke chapter 12, Jesus stands up and says to the Pharisees, you are a bunch of hypocrites. So you get the point. It's really surprising that there would be a Pharisee anywhere, any place that would be concerned about the safety of Jesus like it seems that they are in the beginning of the text. But on the other hand, there's really nothing in the text that suggests or that confirms that these Pharisees are conspiring with Herod. That they're working with Herod to try to get Jesus out of Herod's territory and to move on to someplace else, somewhere else. So we really don't know what the motivation of these Pharisees are in our scripture lesson this morning. Maybe they were sympathetic to Jesus and concerned about his safety. Or maybe they were working with Herod, trying to get him out of Herod's territory and to move on and to be a bother. Uh, to someone else. It's also uh, new information this morning in our scripture that Herod wants to kill Jesus. Uh, But that in and of itself really isn't that surprising. It's the first time that we hear that Jesus, uh, that Herod wants to kill Jesus, but it's not really surprising. I mean, 
Earthly kings and kingdoms have always been threatened by God and God's will for the world. And, and even um, in our Gospel of Luke, we learned a little while back that um, John the Baptist spoke out against Herod and it sort of ticked Herod off. Uh, John the Baptist spoke against him, Herod marrying his brother's wife. And so John the Baptist was subsequently imprisoned by Herod. And yes, ultimately he was beheaded by Herod. And so uh, it's, it's important to see here that um, Herod and Jesus have this difficult relationship and that Herod actually wants Jesus dead. And if he wants to kill Jesus, as the text suggests, then we probably haven't seen the last of Herod in the story. And that's just a teaser for what's going to come up later in the Gospel of Luke. Um, But it remains to be seen how Herod would be involved in the killing of Jesus if Jesus is about to leave Herod's territory and move on outside of Herod's territory. Well, you can imagine after the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say that he needs to leave or else he's going to get killed by Herod, that Jesus might have something to say in response to that. And so we're told that Jesus responds to the Pharisees in a particular way that he wants them to go back and tell Herod. And it's in uh, both a reassuring way to Herod and in a way that would have annoyed Herod and disrespected Herod. I mean, it's reassuring to Herod because Jesus lets Herod know that I am not going to stay in your territory forever. I am going to leave and I'm going to move on to another place. And that's apparently what Herod wanted. And so this would have been reassuring to Herod. He would be leaving to go cause trouble in somebody else's territory and would no longer be in his own. But the way Jesus responds also would have annoyed Herod and would also have been a disrespect to Herod. The first thing that he does is he calls Herod a fox. Now I know that that doesn't sound like a big cut down to us today. It doesn't sound like he's trying to get underneath Herod's skin or, 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 or really throw it back at him. But, but in Jesus' day, this would have been uh, something that would have shown disrespect to Herod. It would have annoyed him to no end. Because in the Old Testament, a fox is viewed as destructive. And in Greek literature, a fox is viewed as sly or conniving or clever. Um, When Jesus calls Herod a fox, I think I'm safe to say that he was not meaning it as a compliment. He he was not trying to compliment this job that Herod is doing or or to um, defer to Herod's authority. No, he called him a fox because he was trying to make a point. And that would have disrespected Herod and it would have annoyed him to no end. The second way that Herod would have been annoyed or disrespected is that uh, Jesus says that he's leaving the territory, but he's not leaving on Herod's terms. He's leaving on his terms. He's not going to let Herod's threat of killing him uh, rob him of even one day of doing what it is that God had called him to do and, and saying what God had called him to say. 
Um, He is not afraid of Herod. He's not leaving Herod's territory because Herod seeks to kill him. He's leaving Herod's territory uh, upon God's directive and and, and living into God's plan. And so this would have been an affront to Herod. I'm not leaving because you're threatening me. I'm leaving under God's authority. I'm leaving under my authority. The third thing that happens in this text that would suggest uh, that Jesus was trying to get under Herod's skin a little bit, uh, that Herod might have been annoyed or disrespected, is that um, he essentially says, Herod, you want to kill me, but you can't. You want to kill me, but you can't. Well, why can't he? Because... Well, um, he's going to be moving on to Jerusalem in a while. He's not going to be in Herod's territory anymore. And so Herod's not going to have any jurisdiction over him anymore. And so he's basically taunting Herod and saying, Yeah, you say you want to kill me, but you can't kill me because I'm a prophet. And all prophets, according to Scripture, uh, are killed in Jerusalem. And you have no jurisdiction over me once I leave this place and go to Jerusalem. You couldn't kill me even if you wanted to. And so this disrespects Herod. This annoys Herod to no end. And then we're told at this particular part of the story that Jesus offers a lament over Jerusalem. He's expressing deep grief, deep sorrow, deep regret. And He is saying it to the people of Jerusalem. In fact, it says that he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. And that's a common uh, theme in the Scriptures, that when uh, the divine is addressing people, that he says their name twice. It's sort of like when you and I would get in trouble and they'd say your full name. You know, your parents would say your full name when you were in trouble. When, When Jesus, or when the divine says your name twice, you're supposed to pay attention Pay attention to what's going on. You might remember the story of um, uh, Abraham and how Abraham was about to sacrifice his son Isaac. And he pulls the knife back and all of a sudden an angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, don't lay a hand on that boy. You might remember the story of Moses in the Old Testament and how Moses was out tending the flock of his father-in-law on the mountain of God and all of a sudden he sees this bush burning but even though the bush is a fire it's not cons- the fire is not consuming the bush and naturally Moses just kind of wants to get a little closer look at what's going on with this bush and so he starts to walk towards it and all of a sudden he hears the voice of God saying Moses Moses, don't come any closer and take off your sandals because the ground on which you stand is is a holy, holy ground. You might remember the story of Samuel, how he's sleeping on the floor of the temple and on multiple occasions he hears the voice of God saying, Samuel, Samuel. And he ultimately responds, Speak, Lord for your servant is listening. 
It's not just in the Old Testament that this happens. In the New Testament, it happens several times. Uh, one, when a man is on the Damascus road, he's on his way to Damascus because his intention is to imprison the followers of Jesus, the people of the way. And while he's on this road to Damascus, he has an encounter where he falls to the ground and he hears a voice that says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It was the voice of Jesus. Jesus is trying to get their attention. And He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You see, Jesus really loved Jerusalem. And nothing hurts than to love someone or something with every ounce of your being only to have that love spurned. Nothing hurts like expressing your heartfelt desires and hopes and will for someone or something only to have those hopes and dreams and will rejected. And instead of responding and accepting the love of Jesus, we're told that Jerusalem was the place that stoned and killed the prophets that God kept sending to them. And I think at this point, we might even call to mind the parable of the wicked uh, tenants and how that owner of the land kept sending people and they kept killing people And ultimately, the owner sent his own son, hoping that that would get them to listen. But they killed the son. And now, they're on their way to killing Jesus. What Jesus longed for, for the people of Jerusalem, was to gather them together like a hen would gather her young, And this image is meant to be a beautiful image. That that's how much Jesus loves us. That Jesus longs to embrace us in love and to offer us protection. This is an image that's all throughout the Scriptures. The first indication of it is in Deuteronomy when Moses says that uh, God seeks to guard the children of Israel, like an eagle hovering over its young. And that this eagle would actually spread its wings to be willing and able to catch any of those children, any of its young who might fall. It also happens um, in Ruth where Boaz, when he meets Ruth for the first time, he offers her a blessing and he says... Um, may you receive uh, uh, great rewards um, whose, under whose wings you seek and have sought refuge, referring to God. You get the point. It's, it's throughout Scripture. This is meant to be a beautifully tender image of what God seeks to do for God's people. But they weren't willing They would not accept this protection of the mother hen. 
They would instead uh, rather align themselves with the fox, with people like Herod, or any of the other animals that's depicted in Scripture as symbolic of evil. You know, there was that serpent in the book of Genesis. Uh, There is the lion, what First Peter says, the devil lurks like a lion ready to pounce and pray and devour its Jesus' sheep. There's the wolf that according to the Gospels is out to snatch the sheep. And there's a dragon in the book of Revelation. The devil is referred to as a dragon who comes to devour the people of God. Jesus wanted them to respond and align themselves with the mother hen. And they were aligning themselves with wolves, with lions, with foxes, with dragons. And as a result, in Jesus' lament, He says that their house will be abandoned, that it will become desolate. Now there's a good chance that what Jesus is referring to here or foreshadowing is the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, which uh, you may know did in fact happen after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. But it could be that we're supposed to perhaps perceive this in an even larger way, not that Jesus was talking only about the destruction of the temple when He says that your house will be abandoned and desolate, but that He might be talking about all of Israel and maybe even all of us because Jesus would end up being rejected, Jesus would end up being crucified, and Jesus would end up rising and then ascending into heaven And Jesus promised that He would come again. The ending of this story is really kind of, this text is just really full of irony. Jesus says, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now that was a processional psalm that pilgrims would often sing as they entered into Jerusalem. Perhaps you recognize it as what the people chanted when Jesus made His triumphal entry into Jerusalem for the last time before His death. It's meant to remind us of who Jesus is, one who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's also meant to foreshadow His return when He comes again as the Son of man. So what should we take away from this text? Well, I'm wondering if during the season of Lent, the reason why this scripture is included as a part of the lectionary cycle is because we're meant to think about what are the things that threaten us from doing what God would have us to do, from being who God would have us to be? What are those things like Herod that exist in the world that might threaten us being the people of God that God wants us to be? What are those things in your world? 
What are those things that you're struggling with today or this past week or this past year or for your entire life that are a constant threat to you being the person of God that God wants you to be? In what way are we feeling pressure from earthly kings and kingdoms and principalities from being the light of Christ? And then I'm wondering, in what ways might, we be, might God be trying to gather us as a mother hen? In what ways may God be trying to reach you and me with an embrace of love and mercy, desiring to protect us? And in what ways are we living to suggest that we don't want to be gathered, that we don't want to be embraced, that we don't want to be loved like Jesus desires us to be loved? Or maybe a better way of saying it is in what way have we cut ourselves off from God because we've refused to be embraced and enveloped by His love. I think those are things worth considering as we continue this journey through the season of Lent. Where we're reminded of our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our own mortality, and of our need for a Savior our need to experience and be embraced by the love of God, our need to stand up against the things that threaten us from being all that God wants us to be and all that God wants us to do and all that God wants us to say. Let us pray. Good morning, God. For the remainder of this worship experience and indeed in the days and weeks ahead, would you give us the grace and the willingness to explore the things that threaten our relationship with you from truly experiencing your love, from living as the light and living for the light of Jesus in the world. Would you help us to see the ways in which we refuse to be gathered into your love? Would you help us to see, acknowledge the ways in which we've cut ourselves off from your love? This we pray in Christ. Amen.